May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. My text is from that gospel reading we just heard. And let me repeat just a few verses that I want to focus on today. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The word breath in Hebrew is a ruach. Ruach means three things. It means breath, it means wind, and it means spirit. So Jesus, in breathing on them, is giving them the spirit. By that action, he's giving them the Holy Spirit. So he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. When I retired 17 years ago, I no longer led worship. And I had done that for 35 years, 40 years. Ann and I became worshipers at other churches. And it's, it's hard for a pastor to let go of leading worship, you know? At retirement, I had to do that. And I, I kept noticing how other pastors led their people. And I said to myself, I, I wouldn't do that way. <laughs> Finally, I had to let go and accept I'm no longer in charge, okay? Part of retiring is letting go. It was a big adjustment. I'm no longer the leader. I can accept that. And thank God we've got young people taking over. But keeping all that in mind, that I'm no longer leading worship, I still couldn't help but comparing what I had been taught with the way some pastors did certain things. <clears throat> I saw a change in that. I saw a change in how pastors saw themselves. We were taught <clears throat> that the office of the keys is given to the pastor so that he has the authority to pronounce the word of forgiveness. I forgive you all your sins. To say that during the congregation, during the confession of sins as we did today. And it's right there in the words that I used to use every Sunday. It's uh, these words. <clears throat> it's the first option for absolution. As a called ordained minister of the church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus gave the authority to the pastor to say, I forgive. I forgive your sins in Jesus' name. To speak in on behalf of Jesus and say, I forgive your sins. I noticed that pastors were uncomfortable saying that 15, 20 years ago. I forgive your sins. They are uncomfortable saying, I forgive. Instead, they said, Jesus forgives us. I myself asked myself, well, why are pastors so uncomfortable exercising the very authority Jesus gave them. Then in February this year, there was that thing over the news you may have heard about a priest, Roman Catholic priest in Arizona. And he had been told by Rome that he had done a thousand baptisms over his 20 years at this particular church and all of the baptisms were invalid. Why? 
because he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. In baptism, the pastor, priest, the minister is instructed to say, I baptize you, speaking and acting on behalf of Jesus. The pastor, priest, minister represents Jesus who does the baptizing. Jesus does the baptizing. And when the pastor says, I baptize you, he is speaking Jesus' own words, given in Matthew 28. And he speaks Jesus' words, representing Jesus. And for that reason that he represents Jesus using his words, he says, I baptize you. I am authorized by Jesus to baptize you. Pastors began dodging their responsibility to speak on behalf of Jesus. So why are they so uneasy with that authority? What's happened? It began to dawn on me that the paramount value of our society is we're all equal. Nobody's better than anybody else. And with that belief that we're all equal, pastors began to pull away from that authority that Jesus gave them. All the voices in the culture are saying, we're all equal. So why does the pastor or priest think he can say, I baptize you or I forgive you? Our, our society says nobody's better than anybody else. And the claim that the pastor has the authority to say that, to speak on behalf of God, seems kind of arrogant, self-righteous. Where do you get off telling me my sins are forgiven? If everybody is equal, why do you think you're better than I am? So pastors, hearing those kind of voices, avoided any appearance of asserting their authority and said instead, God forgives us, or we baptize you, as that priest did for a thousand baptisms. He'd do it to show we're all equal. So how should a Christian understand authority or leadership? Another word for authority is leadership. In Romans 13, Paul writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. The Bible clearly states that positions of leadership come from God. God stands behind the leader that God has called to represent him. A leader is not to submit to the group, but to God. Our age questions every authority and every leader. Our, our age demands that the leader surrender control of the group. Which way is the wind blowing? And I'll get out in front. It, it even happens with parenting. Parents are persuaded to think, well, the kids are equal with parents, and parents really know, have, have no right to be in charge. But in fact, parents are older, they are mature, they understand life better, and they should be a leader. As a result, we all follow the crowd, not God. We must consider again those words from Scripture. There is no authority, no leadership except from God. And those authorities, those positions of leadership that exist have been instituted by God. 
Scripture says there is no authority except it comes from God to the leader. If that is what Scripture says, then questioning the leader's authority is questioning God's authority. You may be thinking, well, well, that means then a leader can do whatever he wants. No, a leader is to do God's will, not his own will. The leader structure of leadership in the church is this. Our leader is Jesus Christ, represented by that cross. That's why that big cross is up there, to represent he is our leader. He gave his life for us on Good Friday to wipe away our sins. He rose on Easter Sunday for our salvation. He has the power and the right to be our leader. And he takes that leadership and he hands it to the pastor. In public worship, the pastor gets to speak on behalf of Jesus. At baptism, he says, I baptize you, representing Jesus, not himself, representing Jesus. The words Jesus said, I baptize you. At Holy Communion, the pastor says, this is the body and blood. He uses Jesus' words, holding the bread, said, this is my body. Holding the wine, the pastor says, this is my blood. But he's representing Jesus. And in preaching, the pastor preaches Christ's message, not his own ideas, Christ's message. So you have a right to question your pastor and say, does that pastor preach or teach God's will? Does the pastor preach God's word from the pulpit? Does he administer baptism as intended to? Does he administer Holy Communion as Christ intended it to be done? When a pastor uses Jesus' own words, then he is obedient to Jesus' teaching. As lay people, you could ask, is that what the pastor's doing? Is the pastor representing Jesus using Jesus' own teaching and words? Outside the church, that uh, leaders in the world can also be tested by that. In the world, the question, do they follow the Ten Commandments, the basic guide for our lives and society? For example, Vladimir Putin's leadership in Russia, it really should be challenged. He's disobeying God's commands, it seems to me. He's invaded another country. He's murdered its people. He's laid their cities into waste, into rubble. And he appears to be doing it all that out of a desire for power, no matter how he might justify it. And then he shows up in church in Moscow, pretending he's a Christian. But his action shows he rejects God's commandments. And our own leaders are probably not a lot better. We can't just blame Putin. Our own political leaders who want to appear to be devout Christians support the murder of unborn infants. Still, they want to be understood to be good Christians while supporting that. The test of a leader is, does the leader do God's will? Does the leader do what I want him to? Does the leader do what the group wants? Or does the leader do God's will? And this has come about because 
our modern world has persistently removed God from the center of things. That's a secular world. We remove God from the center, put human beings in at the center. We're in control. That's, I think, the source of the loss of God's authority. And that loss of authority in society flows into the church so that we decide what we're going to believe, what's right, what's wrong. And this gospel today is about leadership in the church, that structure of authority. Christ is our authority. He passes it to the clergy and worship and to you. You carry that. You have the authority to carry. That's the title of the sermon. You have authority to carry his forgiveness into the world. That's the authority structure. But have we rejected that leadership that Jesus gave the church and demanded that the church be ruled by what everybody thinks? We should conduct a survey and see what people say and then based on that, decide what our church should teach. Do we lead the church by submitting all our beliefs and our decisions to a majority vote? That's happened in some churches. But if the church has lost the awareness of God's authority, we need to recover that. Let's turn to our gospel to understand what authority is, the authority Jesus gave the church. In his gospel for Easter, Jesus said, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold the sins, forgiveness, their forgiveness is withheld. Jesus gave his authority to say to the sinner, you are forgiven. And the repentant sinner forgiven by God is forgiven by God in heaven as the pastor or the person says it on earth. Jesus is the one speaking. He authorizes us, you and me, to forgive sins. And this takes place on the evening of Easter day, the day of the resurrection. It's like the very first thing Jesus did after the resurrection. He came to his disciples, and the very first thing he did was to pass on this potent power of forgiveness that he won for us on Good Friday. His resurrection on Easter proved his, his, his lordship over us. And the first thing Jesus did is give us the power to forgive sins. He gave it to his church that we might free people from sin's power win people back to God who loves us. His authority to forgive sins, that forgiveness is the most important power on earth. It delivers people and sets them free. That's the chain of authority from Christ who gives it to his church and then his people carried into the world, promoting that precious gift of the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus gives that authority to the church as a whole. And through the church, the Jesus, that authority is given to the pastor. Listen to what the pastor says in the confession of sins, and that I told you about earlier. As a called and ordained minister of the church of Christ, called and ordained by the church means three things. First, a pastor may believe he is called by God to be a pastor, but the church is the one that examines the pastor and decides, yes, you have a valid call. We agree that God has called you. A pastor just can't say, well, I feel I'm called by God, hang up his shingle, rent a building, and start preaching and gather a congregation. It's not how it's done. The church examines the pastor to ask, does this person have a genuine call, and is he fit to be a good minister? 
to the church ordains that pastor, praying over him, laying on hands, praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide him. And three, does the pastor live by what he teaches? Pastors live in a fishbowl. Everybody watches how you live if you're a pastor to see if what you live conforms to what you teach. Do your actions back up what you believe? We live in a fishbowl. So you see, it is the church that authorizes the pastor to speak for Jesus. The pastor doesn't claim it for himself. It's given by God through the church. And throughout my ministry, I understood that when I pronounced the words of absolution, the forgiveness of sins, I was responsible to Jesus for what I was saying. I'm accountable to him. I didn't claim authority for myself. In the Catechism, Luther explains it. He says, this absolution, forgiveness of sins, this absolution we should not doubt but firmly believe is from God himself in heaven. The forgiveness is from God, not from any human being. I'm the instrument to share it. I'm not the source of it. And so when Martin Luther explained the authority to give to Jesus' church, he not only said, does the pastor have this power? Luther, in, in a kind of real break with tradition, I think, said the lay people now have the authority to forgive sins too. When Jesus said this to the disciples, he was saying to the whole church, he was saying it to lay people as well. Jesus gave his authority to the whole church. All Christians have received the authority to pronounce forgiveness. To pass on that forgiveness. Pastors simply chosen to do that on Sunday morning. Jesus' authority to forgive is given to the whole church, and that means you as God's people are to forgive sins, to do it in your family, in your work, in your friendships, in your daily life. The forgiveness of sins is the most powerful act of God's love. It sets people free. It wins hearts back to God. It is the most powerful thing there is. And beginning on the day of resurrection, the first thing Jesus did was to give that power to forgive to his church, to you, to communicate his forgiving love to those who need to hear, you're forgiven, you're loved. That means when you're talking with a loved one or a friend who is troubled over guilt over something they've done wrong, feels remorse for what she said or he did, you who believe in Jesus can say, Jesus told me to tell you this, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus himself in heaven will back you up on earth. We're not saying that we of ourselves have the power to forgive. Jesus alone died on the cross. That's what did it. And his resurrection is his victory. But he's given that authority to us. He trusts all of us to tell someone who is hurting, burdened with guilt, aches to be forgiven. Jesus told me we're to say, Jesus told me to say to you, you are forgiven. Just as the pastor's life needs to reflect the Christianity teaches, we live in a fishbowl, so you as a layperson, as a Christian, you're also being watched to see 
if you live what you believe. If you act like a Christian on Sunday, but then on Monday you do business so that people don't trust you, that's a negative witness. People might say, why would I want to go to your church on Sunday when I, on Monday morning you've tried to cheat me in business? As Christians, we must communicate we're not superior. <laughs> we are also repentant sinners forgiven by Jesus. We live by that forgiveness. And with Jesus' help, we try to grow in holiness, a life that reflects Jesus' love for sinners. And there's more. There's more. Jesus also said, if you withhold forgiveness from any, that forgiveness is withheld. We don't offer God's forgiveness to someone who has no sense of guilt, no sense of having done anything wrong. And so you have to pray for discernment. Do I say that word of forgiveness here or not? And we cheapen God's grace by telling somebody totally unrepentant, God loves you and God loves all your sins. No, we don't do that. We offer God's forgiveness to those who are troubled by their wrongs and are humbly repentant. Our world has forgotten God's authority. Could be that our society has forgotten God's authority because we have forgotten God's authority. We must recover not only God's authority as God, but the authority he has given us to tell the world your sins are forgiven. You as a Christian are authorized by your Savior Jesus Christ to say, Jesus forgives you your sins, and he told me to tell you. Amen. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen.